about to be a completely unreliable asshole. Hello, Tim. <laughs> Hi, Ryan. And hello, <clears throat> everyone listening. Welcome to episode 60 of Dismembering Horror. That is 6060. Dismembering Horror, the podcast show where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and myself, Tim Aslan. There he is. <laughs> we dismember a horror film every week. And what does it mean to dismember a horror film? Tim. You're asking me? Oh, well, we watch a movie. Yes. That maybe you suggested or maybe we just found. Or yes, we found a lot of our films off of lists of top horror movies <laughs> that humans have decided. Mm-hmm. Or robots. We don't know. Yeah. And then we talk about the movie. Yes. Specifically, we talk about what worked, what did not work, and anything we found interesting or noteworthy. It's, Those are our three sections. It's literally what we're doing right now. Yeah. This second. Yeah. In this room. You're about to, I mean, yeah, we're setting it up for you. It's what's going to happen before that. Those are our three big sections, but we also rate it. We do a little summary so you can plug into where our brains were at when we watched it and how we how we uh, cataloged it, if we made sense of it or not. Um, <laughs> what? Often we did, it didn't make sense to us. Which is, that's, that's part of it too, is to hear how it didn't make sense to us. But we do hope that you watch the film with us because that's sort of the spirit of how we record it. Is you watch the film, then we sit down and... And you're and you're here in spirit with us as we <laughs> in spirit for this uh, October spirit. That's right. I like to imagine when we're watching it in my living room that there's like all of the listeners' spirits are just around us. You like to imagine that? Oh, so much. <laughs> Great. Well, I can't say I've done the same thing. Maybe I will next time. Yeah, you should try it. But whatever spirit was with us. For this film, Tim, I'm just so excited to continue talking about the Psycho films. We're, we're almost, ha we'll be halfway through them at this point after this episode. We'll have done two of the four Psycho films. If you haven't heard, That's true. we're today covering Psycho 2. And if you haven't heard on top of that, we're covering Psycho 2 as part of covering the four well, I, I, the non-remake, the four, I was going to say the four original Psycho films, the original Psycho film and the three direct sequels. Right. Yes. So, so did you say we're doing Psycho 2 today? We're doing Psycho 3 today. Oh, shit. I did, sorry, I did. <laughs> it's because you love Psycho 2 so much. No, it's just because... Because uh, there's just so many numbers. That happened to be the one that I'm looking at. It's because we watched Death Bell and Math was the enemy <laughs> <laughs> so yeah psycho three everything i said stands true That's, i'm excited yeah. to talk about psycho three mm -hmm. thank you tim you're welcome i didn't know if i like was losing my mind just now <laughs> <laughs> sure yeah we'll just talk about psycho two did we already do that i don't know whatever <laughs> <laughs> we could we did anything you want to say about psycho two <clears throat> Before we get into Psycho 3, we had a week Ooh, away without, from it. Without tipping my hand as to how I felt about Psycho 3. Um, 
It's, I still think it was awesome. Psycho 2. Great. Even a week later. Cool. Or whatever. All right. Well, great. Great. <laughs> let's let's get into the trailer, so then we can talk about everything else we're going to talk about then. How about that? Okay. All right. Here is, at least for you, the partial trailer for this week's film, Psycho 3. Mm. Just leave him alone. Norman Bates is back to normal. But Mother's off her rocker. Again. Norman, is that you? Yes, Mother. It's me. Bates Motel. Aside from total boredom, nothing's going to happen to you here. I can't have that sort of thing going on in my motel. Here's the place of bad name. To me. You remind me of someone. Mother! I figured Bates was a geek, but a full-fledged Looney Tune? Norman! I'll get you for this, Mother. You haven't got the guts, boy! It's perfectly natural for a son to love his mother. All right, Tim. After the trailer, we rate it per our rating system. Yeah. I'm so torn about it, unfortunately. Would Tim and I tell ourselves as individuals to avoid it, stream it, rent it, or buy it? I think I am... Oh, man. I'm still a rent. I'll give it a rent still. I'm borderline to stream for it. Then there's like... Maybe the the overall outweighs the specifics of why I'm almost a stream. Wait, say that again. The overall the overall way. like movie uh-huh. outweighs why I might be a stream. Like there are certain specific things that make me go, yeah, but this, <laughs> yeah. And so like I kind of want to be a stream, but no, I'll I'll be a rent still. It's it's still pretty cool. Do you remember what I said for Psycho Two? Because I just left what I had up for last time, which was rent slash buy. Like, I'm like... <laughs> like specifically what you said? Yeah. Uh, you love Norman Bates. I don't remember what you, like... You weren't a buy. But you didn't you say you would buy it if it was like a set? Yeah, which exists. I just want that set so much, Tim. I already have the first one, the 50th... Anniversary Blu-ray release is great. I just, these movies, they're like Norman Bates' story as played by Anthony Perkins. It's almost, they're they're turning into like kind of comfort horror movies to me, for me. It's like, I feel like it puts me in that mode of uh and just so just because of so many of the little moment like in this one like what worked for me i just get to so many moments you know yeah and like those things make me feel like uh almost like i'm a kid watching a horror movie where it's just oh great i just i just love this all i love this world i love this character so since i'd be happy to own the box set i suppose that would make this and kind of all the other ones buy it technically you're retconning your last episode. I literally decision. can't remember what I. I, I, <laughs> I think I was just being indecisive. I don't remember <laughs> if I said anything, but 
I think that's where I gotta that's where I gotta land. Alright. It's fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Summary. Oh. There is no God. <laughs> oh, that's the first line nun. of the film over black. That's what brings us in. Poor nun. Maureen. <laughs> yes. I wanted to call her Mary. I wanted to call her Marion. Okay, but just kind of a summary, shorter one. Sorry, that's like, we we shouldn't just retell the movie here. I said the first line. (laughs) It's a month after Norman has gotten back. They really just jammed it in. He got a haircut? Yeah, he's gotten a haircut. (laughs) (laughs) It's the big news for the summary (laughs) in that month. Um, He's kind of, so after, after he has a new mother figure back, Right. He kills Mrs. Pool. Spool. Spool. Mrs. Spool. (laughs) Kills her. Dead. Now he's got a new mother. Yeah. And he's living life. He's living it up. He's living the old psycho life. It's like we get to see Norman status quo for the first time. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's fun to see. Yeah, Norman status quo with his mother back in his life after being just let out from the insane asylum, the events of the second one. Yep. And, um, you know, and then our our nun, our cold open nun, um, through various reasons, stumbles her way into his life right and so that is triggering it's sort of this threefold uh th- an influx of three characters going on we got the sort of yeah. love interest that reminds him of marion crane right coming into his life initials and he she is just as repressed as he is so they actually do have a sort of budding romance going on yeah and um and then we have the snoopy investigative reporter who's interested oh, in killers who have been let go and then we have Dwayne, Jesus, who is this? This horrible human being, Dwayne Duke. <laughs> Dwayne Duke, who's exactly how he sounds. <laughs> who, uh, who, uh, much to Maureen's dismay, shows up, gets a the, job. Yeah, gets a job at the motel of uh, her new potential beau. Yeah, and then and then the rest of the movie is like basically exactly what you would assume it would be in a way. In that it's like, let's do the greatest hits of Psycho. Mm. But it, it, it has other stuff, don't re- get me wrong. But they really, like, you, you get your sort of quintessential, the things that you think about when you think about a Psycho movie, right. they they lock into. Well, it's, yeah, it's fun because it is like him in his full mode kind of for the first and only time in any Psycho movie right. where it's not like, okay, he's normal Norman fighting off questionably uncertain of his sanity. And like we're not one. uncertain of him. We know exactly <laughs> who he is now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, he... Uh, he wins. He wins. Sort yeah. of. He does finish an arc in this one. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. No, I think he does. Yeah. He, he gets to go through some things. He gets some catharsis. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah. We, and, we, and we get all of our um, sort of our players from Psycho 2, the cop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, sh- the chef from the diner. <laughs> the waitress, the same waitress from the diner. She's right back in it. She has like one line. Yeah. Um, <laughs> get them all back. Yeah. And the, 
I don't think that was was the deputy the deputy. It, <laughs> this guy was fucking great. There's a deputy in the scene where the cop shows up to like question Norman, and he just feels so weird and out of place. <laughs> oh yeah. And I can't remember if... He, I doubt he's in Psycho 2. I don't remember. But man, is he a funny character. <laughs> For about mm, maybe 45 seconds. But made an impression on you. <laughs> he sure did. Sounds like. So I want to see the spinoff about him. Okay. Should we get into what worked? That's it? We don't need to say anything else? I mean, yeah. our summaries used to be a That's lot shorter. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. we're just leaning into it. <laughs> Do you want to say anything else? No. Then does that mean you are ready for our next section? I am. I mean, I almost just fell right into it talking about Deputy Depp. <laughs> All right, then. Here we go. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm, Smith. What worked? What did work for you, Ryan? Well, that, what worked for you? That opening line that I what already worked? said worked for me. Mm. <laughs> I think that just says it all right there. That opening scene almost feels like a different like world. It's so yeah. good. Oh, it's so good, you said? Yes. Yeah. It looks so fucking good. This whole movie looked amazing. Yeah. It looked like a kind of... Dare I say, like a Kubrick shot, you know, just that has a very nice, pleasing veneer to it. Yeah. Um, I don't well, know how to say it. Yeah. You know, I. This, my, what I'm about to say, I'm going to have to revisit. But the specifically the style and the shot selection is really, really good even more than Kubricky, it's very, very much like taking some of the best things from Hitchcock movies, other Hitchcock mm -hmm. movies, and like really leaning in on that look. Um, that, you know, the bell tower church sort of scene is, it's vertigo. I yeah. mean, it feels like that movie. Um, there's shots of Norman and of, of Maureen in the car, like the way it's framed, the way they used green screen behind them, or probably oh, totally blue like screen. Even at the, the time. last shot of the movie of him in the car is yeah. straight up. Yeah, that framing. Yeah, yeah. So it's I think as we discovered because it like it right as it started and after the cold open sort of happens, I was like, this looks fucking amazing. Who directed it? Okay, we're on a few different things here. <clears throat> we'll cover them all. Beginning, uh, how it shot, and then what you just said, which you said in the summary the sort of nods to the original or uh -huh. getting stuff that is uh -huh. pure psycho. Okay, so what worked for me so much in it about this one is that it wasn't just doing them all again, like just just to do them, just as a kind of throwaway whatever. It felt like it was a real, like, come full circle kind of thing where there's always a, a certain spin on it where like okay if that was him in his 20s or whatever now here he is again and he can't have that life forever so he's kind of you know everything is like i i guess yeah. the example like a, an easy example of what i'm getting at is he goes in as the mother to murder maureen 
because uh, she's in the shower. And instead, she's already attempted to commit suicide rather right. than just it's the same scene from no, before. No, that's true. I think in in similarly to how Psycho 2 kind of sort of led us in the direction of things that we were familiar with, but then really kind of took a left turn. This feels like we're on the same road as the first movie. Yeah. Right? And it's just... This is a weird, I don't know why I'm making this analogy, but it's like the signposts that you're used to seeing are overgrown or are whatever, like maybe they're broken off. Yeah. So it's like we we're we're on the same road. We're just we're just seeing it from a a probably a different direction or B just a different time, which is things have happened. Why for me, it being like so 80s. Works for me because sure, it's yeah. like you're trying to hold on to 1960 here, Norman world psychosis. Yeah. Sorry, it's 86 and yeah. it's beating in on your door and the aesthetics of the film themselves in a way that sort of functions to say all that. Yeah. And and just from a writing standpoint, they're, they've done a smart thing by having Dwayne exist in yeah. this movie, right? Because he is in a way representative of the 80s cliche version of what you might see as like a psycho yeah and norman is it's it causes conflict for him well right because he's he is so buttoned right. up and trying to kind of relive his old life i you reminded me of something i thought while watching it um that i wanted to say what works so much for me is like um Dwayne is he's kind of the perfect foil for Norman Bates because right. he is all the character traits that Norman most hates and doesn't embody, or you could say isn't in touch with himself. <laughs> like he's everything. And same, and same within psycho Two, the guy who's uh, managing the motel right. in that one, Dennis Franz. Yeah. Dennis Franz. Yeah. It's like both of these guys are just the epitome of driving Norman to sort of hatred almost of how could a person be so sleazy and right. disgusting That's right. and everything wrong with the world, you know, unscrupulous. Yeah. Which puts him against his morals of just sort of the challenges, his good old boy morals almost, you know, it's cool because it is it is a fine line, right? Like seeing Dwayne be just the fucking creeperest of creeps in the car with Maureen yeah. initially where he's he literally says something like what? Oh my God! What is the fucking oh, line? Yeah, it's so the he, greatest line. He tries line. to rape her. Oh, yeah, he he tries to rape her, and then he fucking sh like shames her for getting out of the car. He's yeah. like, "Oh, you, you instead of going, you could have been coming." <laughs> and it's like, ah, you're the worst right. fucking person ever. <laughs> but then what I liked is that moment almost played for me like you're. It felt like it was going to be like a Friday the 13th movie where we almost never see this character again, Dwayne or something, you know, yes. where it's just kind of this yeah. weird aside, like setting up Maureen's character. Yeah, it's like you expect, you know, the following scene to be him on the side of the road with a flat tire changing it being like, God fucking damn my life. And then like Norman just cuts his head off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're exactly. like, ha, 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 but that's him. what really got one of the things that really worked for him in this movie was on all sorts of different levels. And I thought of you with this one, something you liked him is a sort of a lot of setup and payoff mm -hmm. where it wasn't just, it made it feel less throwaway that he was a yes. horrible person. It was right. sort of 
as I said, like became perfect for being Norman's foil. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just, it's, you know, it's smart. Yeah. But other, other, other ways, like even in, um, set up payoff things, I noticed just, yeah. Dwayne being an asshole overall. It's the one I just said the whole, like his guitar thing of, Oh, watch the guitar, watch the guitar. And then Mm -hmm. his death scene gets beaten with it. And then like says, watch the guitar then. (laughs) And then even in that same scene, you had a good setup payoff of, um, Woody Woodpeckers on the TV. And it's just kind of gives this whole weird, like kind of almost David Lynch, you know, aesthetic to the whole thing. Yeah. That was freaky with the, like him with like all the, the nudie magazine clippings. Oh yeah. So like, good. And then like putting them on the lamp so that everything's in this wash of sort of pink and purple and <laughs> yeah. red. Like what? We what have to get fuck? to that scene more, but okay. I just wanted real quick, the sort of setup payoff I was talking about was then at the end of that, you have Woody Woodpecker laughing at ah, the appropriate that's moment. so right. Yeah, yeah. I really, that was cool. Because like, Norman's basically laughing about the whole thing, right? Standing over him. Yeah, yeah. He's now he's hit him with a guitar yeah. and defeated oh him. And... But and even, you know, further to sort of bring the the connection of the guitar around when Norman is driving Dwayne's body to the swamp, Dwayne's not dead mm-hmm. and uses a guitar string to try and strangle Norman. That's what causes him to oh, fly, right. in, fly into the it swamp. Was a guitar it string. was a guitar string. Yeah. Talk about more to just sort of playing off the old one but taking it a step further it's it's doing it but then doing it more okay is you know we know he has this old routine put yep. the car in the swamp i fucking like love the car in the swamp yeah scare so, so then we have it oh no the guy jeff Fahey, Dwayne, he's still alive and then we get to go into the swamp it's ter- to me that's just a, a f- sort of a very fundamental terrifying thing you're in a car that's underwater yeah you're fucked you're so fucked (laughs) it's so scary i also almost drowned when i was a kid so like it's very visceral i've had a couple underwater scares too oh they're the worst yeah (laughs) um so okay there's okay i know two things i want to go off of with that (laughs) do you want to talk about why more why that swamp thing worked for me or more about the scene with Dwayne? Uh, let's stay in the swamp. Okay. So staying in the swamp for me, that was also emblematic of almost like how the second one was doing where it's like, we kind of get to see the house a bit more, see Uh these iconic Uh locations and more, but a way that doesn't undermine the original, but feels like it is true to the spirit somehow. Just how that felt being underneath the swamp. It's like, we've built up this mystique of the swamp or whatever. And then to see it like, how it looks underneath there underwater was very, it was it was fun it was cathartic it, in a way it's it is a dump yeah <laughs> that's i think this fucking scariest thing is like under the surface of this thing that we've seen a bunch of times is just junk yeah it's just shit that's been thrown in there and not even necessarily by norman the sort of like there's a bike down there it's like is that it's a callback to anything the heavy but effective metaphor of a swamp you know yeah and storytelling. And then, of course, we get a very classic kind of scare of him coming upon the previous death, the previous kill of his that he's dumped down there, the the, the girl that Dwayne picks up. And, yeah. And then subsequently is a huge piece of shit, too. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> like, that girl, man, she... 
of what all a, of all the deaths in Psycho movies, she really got it right. Like, what a undeserved. <laughs> um, but yeah, sorry that swamp. So the surprise tussle, the setting, but just yeah, how that was an example of for me doing more of scene like there are some new establishing shots of this one. They were my favorite in any of the films. Just these really cool, still kind of true to Hitchcock, you could yeah. say establishing shots of like the sort of old, what is it? Not like a birdhouse or clock or something outside. I think there is the angle of seeing like the table out front. Oh Just yeah. All these little details that were really neat. Yeah. I mean, it, fe- it felt to me like Anthony Perkins, who I think we mentioned who directed it. We were, we, I was, that was a thrilling surprise yeah. for, for me. Um, <laughs> Where he did some real deep dive homework on Hitchcock's like aesthetic and and not just to copy shots, but to just figure out what lens he used a lot, why he would choose certain angles, things like that. Because like, yeah, that there's a I guess it would be a probably a, a like a technocrane or, or, or something, you know, like a crane shot, jib shot. I read the, it was a new crane or something yeah, that they okay. really utilized. Yeah. And it fucking feels so good. But like using that very deep focus, wide lens to like creep up to the house just feels Give it Hitchcockian. That gothic imagery more right. so. Yeah. So that all that stuff is, it's just nice. Well, talking about then two two prongs of I think what did make it uniquely a uh, Anthony Perkins film mm. versus just an extension mm-hmm. of a Hitchcock film. Um, do you want to use the Dwayne scene, death scene as the segue for the first prong or go back to the beginning of There Is No God? Because I want to do both. Which one first? Uh, let's talk about Dwayne first since we were already touching on Dwayne's it. emblematic. That whole scene, that whole death scene, as you said, him naked, but with like these colored lamps <laughs> covering his crotch and stuff. Dude. Um, the, the, the music, which we learned was like an MTV music video. That's super hokey. (laughs) All that, that just hits at this like camp value. This, I call it sleaze camp that just feels so must be Anthony Perkins kind of just, he just loves it. You know? Well, you know what it, you know what it reminds me of and is, is sort of the underground, um, like the underground gay club scene aesthetic that that still is sort of like touted if like I worked in a gay bar for a long time so I I was in that neighborhood and you you know you get invited to parties and whatever and like that is sort of that era that 80s before anybody could be out and before well they could but it was sort of bridging the gap of this time of of liberation right and there is this nostalgia to that time. Yeah. Um, it's like, and now it's, I mean, it's whatever. Nobody, well, somebody cares, but most people don't give a shit. Um, but you see it now kind of the homage to that era in, in certain clubs or, or bars yeah. where they're really like playing it up. Like the place I worked in was formerly a quote unquote video bar. <laughs> um, it, when I was there, it was just a, a lounge. It's just a bar. Um, but they really did pay tribute to that era a lot. And it is it is so that like 80s MTV, like 
leather scene. Yeah. Like all, you know, punk rock was a big thing. And there's this sort of amalgamation of like the the drag world and the and the leather world and the disco world and like all these things kind of lived together right and i feel like that's what we're getting a little glimpse of that aesthetic in in norman in anthony perkins is like those are his scenes where he's like i'm gonna do a thing yeah you know and, and I, I, guess I think it's cool if it's helpful for context i know anthony perkins exclusively dated or had relationships with men until his like early forties or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if quite literally, I'm, he was probably exposed. Yeah. To that I mean, I, I think that's part of what I'm, you know, I think it was part of an aesthetic that he knew about and probably thought was fun. And Tim, and I bet you it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it worked for me. Yeah. Because that scene is just so fucking, it's just I don't know. It's just got its own fucking vibe going on. Yeah. I, and I love it. It's so great. And sort of then um, the other prong to mention, but you could say how this crosses over with that campness is, and this is what he's explicitly said about it, is approaching Psycho 3 like a, a black comedy, a sort of darkest of dark comedies, you know, how you can sort of look at any horror from that yeah. angle. But I think something about... That opening line that we've already said, there is no God. It just puts you in the blackest of the the black comedy, you know, not necessarily the comedy side so far, but it's like, okay, this is at least a a quite literal starting point. Well, and I think there's always something to be said and where you find comedy and some of the best comedy in my opinion, is that black comedy that is really pointing at the the um, the authorities or the authority figures or the systemic authoritarianism of organizations in the world. So what I mean yeah. by that is like the church is a good example of one where it's like, you know, they hammer home this idea. And if you think otherwise, like you get your, not literally, but maybe you get your ass kicked, right? Like they, that scene where she, she, she's about to fucking kill herself. And the, the nun who comes up, who you think like nuns, they're, they're yeah. caring and empathetic and they're, they're lovely people. I mean, not a, ask my dad, maybe he has a different opinion. He went to Catholic school. <laughs> <laughs> but by and large, that's what we think when we think nuns. And and then Maureen says there is no God. And the woman, just she turns on her like fucking that. She's like, you fucking heathen. She's yeah. like, how dare you? you should, you're going to fucking pay for that. And it's like, yo. Right. <laughs> well, no. And then she accidentally, you know, or not, you know, to sort of causes the death of this other nun falling to her yeah, death. Yeah, that nun tra- is like, I'm going to, she she pulls a Frau Brookwald again and f- has a spaz out at the least yeah. opportune moment and it costs her, you know. But then there's I was, there's the other <laughs> nun who then comes up and is like, you're going to hell for this. Right, Da-da-da. right, that's right. Uh, super quickly, I loved the pacing of the nun falling. That was an incredible oh, fall. Like so, how it was edited. Yeah. And like those shots of like, oh, here's the next sort of layer of stairs she's falling down yeah. and just the timing and oh god it was such a good fall well and remember when it was happening like it, it's so well timed that like <laughs> i even like as you know she's hitting the ground which they don't show i was like splat <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was just yes. something horrific about like 
she could have just had a moment to scream there, but didn't. And it's just kind of like she is fast enough to not scream, but prolonged enough just to sort of sit in the horror mm-hmm. of it. Ugh, ugh, yeah. Well, it makes me think too, like when you're looking at sort of the metaphor of, of, psychoticness or whatever like the things that drive us crazy quote unquote there's some there's a nice i don't know maybe this is me for for me there's a nice kind of connection to the oppressiveness of of the church the potential oppress oppressiveness of the dogma of church and norman's mother's point of view Mm -hmm. right it's it's this authority figure saying you can't be or feel what I think are kind of normal, natural things like question the world, like have emotions, feel desire, like all these right. things. It's, they're a good kind of uh, mirror to each other in well, a way. I both think. of them are having that voice in their life, you know, right. yelling at them to not. And that's what you could say too. like yeah. uh, Norman's trigger to kill is sexual urges. Right. Like that's right. what it's about. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so that whole thing of like, don't, you know, if you do this, you're a bad person. Right. Like that whole idea is just so fucked up. And it really fucks with people's brains, right? Like it's not a healthy yeah. way to, you know, like oppressing somebody's natural like impulses, generally speaking, is not really that healthy of a thing. Well, hopefully we don't have to uh, <laughs> proselytize that to our audience very much. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but it's just smart. Like, it's smart to give this other character a, a very different but very similar kind of background in a way. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's they're like a match made in heaven yeah. for each other, really. Yep. Um, and that- I, I will say I was honestly expecting her to become like not the bad guy but to have her own psychotic break yeah like she is spurred to kill at some point right but but it dawns on me now that that would maybe feel too too kind of samey as psycho 2 no i think it was good to show that some people's reactions are will skew towards homicide others are suicide and she's on the suicide yeah yeah um what kept up you were talking about you know the black comedy the dark comedy um uh, what were you saying about it, it was just a, like, oh, like a critique a satire yeah um i mean then it, it does it in other ways too not just in the the oppressive Mm-mm. whatever whatever but um then immediately on to seeing catching up with norman the first time i mean how perfect just to strike the tone of like is we don't even see his face yet and there's the tracking shot of like he's he's stuffing his bird and like with a spoon and then uses the same spoon to like dollop some skippy peanut butter onto Ritz crackers. And it's like, Mr. Norman Bates, ladies and gentlemen, this is, this This is is where he's at. This is, this is like pure him. It just kind of left alone to his own devices, peanut butter, Ritz crack, which I liked is connected to in the second one offering you, you want a peanut butter sandwich? (laughs) My God, I forgot about that. You know, he's like, Oh, forget the bread. Just, Ritz crackers. Doesn't he do that in the first one too? He brings her. He brings it's a peanut butter Crane. and jelly, right? He brings Marion Crane sandwiches, but it's. I feel like it's off. It's like not. It's not it's, something we. Is there lettuce in it or something? 
Oh, it's like peanut butter and cheese or something. And it's not that. But, <laughs> but it's something just a little like... Is it a, a cheese sandwich? It might be. Yeah. I don't remember. But yeah, there is a sandwich thing in the beginning of Psycho. I like one. how they've applied food to sort of tracking Norman's yeah. character and being emblematic of him. Like in the, the candy corn obsession he has with this. It's so good. Yeah. Something just works well, about it. Well, and I think what I think is is fun about it is that at the end of the day, Norman is sort of just arrested development, right? Like he's he's kind of like a twelve year old kid. Yeah. And so doing these things kind of hammers home that that that's his state of mind. Like he never really learned to be that much of a um, self sufficient actual human being. Mm-hmm. He's kind of in this weird netherland of twelve year oldsness and adult. I mean, yeah, get Skippy on crackers. Exactly. That's all he's... Yeah. It's crackers. And like, you know, you see how disgusting the house has become. Oh, the dust. There's that one shot of the dust where you would have... Even the kitchen where it's just his shits all over the place. It's just like, ooh, he really needed a caretaker of some sort. Yeah. He just doesn't have it. So it's just furthering along this idea (laughs) of like how kind of lost he is all these uh supportive women in his life who just happen to show up in the time span of a couple months just keep getting killed off i know <laughs> god can we talk about the the we should have talked about it in the last episode but the the shovel hit on mrs spool <laughs> that's something you want to mention about psycho too yeah they they re they re-show it in this okay so valid to mention it, it is it, I, honestly, I feel like they might have killed the actor in, in real life. They and because they cut they the the shovel hits so hard, and like her wig fucking like almost just explodes. He hits it so hard, and then they cut immediately to another angle of it. Where it's clearly a dummy. And I'm like, this should be reversed, right? Like, yeah. the hard hit should be seen the dummy, <laughs> not the other way around. <laughs> and then you and then you cut to the actor falling over. But, dude, I don't know. I'm concerned. And I'm going to have to do some research. You remind me of something else I, <laughs> I loved in this one was, um, I mean, kind of his, his face in that moment of the sort of confidence and certitude in which he hits her mm. uh, with that shovel. So that, okay, so so to segue to his performance in this one, Mm -hmm. which is a little different, Um, coming off that directly, that's the only moment, or say moments like that, like after he kills Dwayne, or is, I shouldn't say kills, but sort of stuns him and is Uh on the successful attacker side, um, he switches to this sort of uber confident, well-spoken, no stumbling, no, you know talking over himself or hesitating to talk uh he's he's taken on his it feels like sort of unabashed you know norman falling through if he's an introvert you know um yeah i hadn't really thought about that but yeah he like kind of he kind of actualizes yeah when he's in control and sort of acting out whatever that mother's worldview is of making the world right or whatever. <laughs> right. But but here's a question. In all of the kills, he's Norma, right? 
Yeah. Except for that one, right? Is he Norma when he kills Dwayne? Um, no, he's just, he's, he's pissed because Dwayne stole his mother. <laughs> right. So that's really interesting. It's like the one time where Norman, Norman, yeah, not Norman under the influence of his mother, but Norman in I'm going to protect my mother becomes this other kind of self-actualized character. Yeah. No, he's not, he's not resisting or like in in battle with the the Norma character or yeah persona and and having this split personality thing going on now he's just like no I'm I'm standing up for myself right which happens again later I'd say not himself he's standing up for like the boy he's in boy's best friend in his mother mode yeah all those times you know yeah holy shit yeah that's cool um and we see though that contrasts his performance um in the rest of his film where he's out of all the films he's especially just sort of has difficulty speaking mm-hmm. or seems especially nervous or is which f- i think the first time i saw these films i wasn't as crazy about it like i think i thought it was a bit much compared to the second one that i was just coming off of where it seemed to contrast strongly with that in a way that threw me off but now it I really enjoy it because it sort of shows the trajectory of this is the Norman Bates who the 22 years where he was recovering. Now that's all out the window. Like right. they should be different. This, that, that psycho two was a Norman Bates who has quote unquote recovered as much as right. he could has a sense of his world. And then the third one is no, if we saw this guy in 1960 continue on this exact same path, his, his, um, his lack of confidence, whatever, whatever, would only be exacerbated that that much by the time he's in his whatever age he's supposed to be here. Yeah, 40s? Yeah, ish. late 40s maybe. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> no, it's cool. And he, on his performance, so one other sort of thing is, it's if, it, it, again, is feeling like we, you know, if you go from obviously we haven't talked about one really, but we all know one. One is this young man that you're sort of, you know, referencing that that is has an unsureness to him, and then like the confidence is really a different persona, like right. when he's killing. Two, you're is exactly what you're saying again, is this massively conflicted. I'm trying to be a different person. And I and, and 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 external forces are basically causing me to not yeah get there. And then this is sort of like all bets are off. I I know who I am, kind of thing. <clears throat> but in the performance, he he does also do a thing where he feel I feel like Perkins is is embracing the idea a little bit more of like maniacal output Mm -hmm. like you see him like get like crazy quote unquote crazy eyes more and like where it's it is just his current state so yeah he feels more borderline caricature but like more like yeah no i am crazy yeah well i'm gonna lean into that it's more i mean that's just for me that's the split of psycho 2 is he's worried about his mother coming back psycho three his mother is back this right. is norman three sorry this is norman with uh yes yeah, so with his mother back in the picture 
Yeah. <laughs> but it's fun to see him really, the actor really kind of play out that arc and be Anthony Perkins. Into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And be like, no, this, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm crazy. I, well, I mean, I like that stuff. To jump ahead, that even the poster, is, it's like it's right there. <laughs> to jump ahead, since that's it's kind of on his performance, but I love that the last shot of the film is his is him doing. He was saying his crazy eyes. It's exactly mm-hmm. that. It's like he's full on psycho mode again. Mm-hmm. Sitting, yeah. we mentioned it earlier, sitting in the back in the back of the car, like same you know framed like the originals, and then goes as far as again like his sort of just forcing aesthetic onto it. Like, even though you have shots in this film where it's like no exterior lighting looks kind of almost like, you know, whatever, whatever film you have all these, like a couple light changes happen to get it. So it's just this obscured kind of half lit face and he's petting his mother's uh, hand (laughs) and he just does the psycho look and you kind of want to be like, Oh, it's so forced. It's hokey or whatever. It's, it's stuck. But it was, it's, he like, he channels the evil and Mm. like, does it? It's, it's so affecting. I loved it. I just loved it, Tim. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's watching him really embrace. I mean, the, the fact that he directed this, like I think does wrap it around for me too, where he's really embracing this thing, (laughs) you know, and being like, cause I think I, I have no idea actually about his, his sort of point of view on being this character, because it's like, I imagine it probably had a large impact on the trajectory of his career as a yeah. whole, right? It's like how do you how do you get out of being known as Anthony Perkins? You just accept it from that's psycho. The point. Right. And this feels like he's like, you know what, I'm all in. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. Right. Let's make three. And there's something about <laughs> all the, directed. Yeah. The last shot of him making that face. That's exactly that. He's like, Well, this is uh you know, will be a historical film, you know, as far as film history is concerned, character. Um, and how do we just go all out with emblemizing that in a single final shot, you know? Yeah. Because <laughs> once we get to the fourth one, you'll see it feels almost like it's more an afterthought or somehow just, even though it's definitely the fourth one, it's still somehow outside of these three, you know? So... Yeah. I don't know, I'll just, just speak to it more as like I look at this as the real kind of moment. <laughs> yeah. The Norman Bates culmination moment of yeah. all the films. Well, and can we talk about the actual sort of catharsis moment of the movie? Yes. Wait, I have a quick question, okay. though, about that last shot. Mm. Um, what was your take on it? Was it that he, he says he's finally free? Right. Yet he's even though he's you know being put away forever. Well, he, and he's just killed his mother, which is maybe what you want to talk yes. about. Killed, quote unquote, again. Right, right. Maybe we should talk about that. I'm basically just wondering if you can end up answering. I don't know. What were the implications of that ending also is what I'm wondering. Because so, uh, he's went through an arc, supposedly. Okay. So, yeah. So here's how I would. I'm going to try and pick it apart. So the moment of of uh, Maureen, I just want to call her Mary. Or, yeah, Maureen, but. So when Mo- Maureen, yeah, Marion, Mary, and Maureen, fucking hell. <laughs> just, just, ah. <laughs> so when she dies, she dies because of Mrs. Bates. Yep. She, you know, Norman is 
distracted by Mrs. Bates, essentially, and Mar- God damn it, Maureen does the fall down the stairs and gets the arrow, statue arrow in the back of the head. Okay. And so it, we, kn- I, th- I think you gotta paint that picture a little yep. more though, because it's like, wait, what? How did she fall? It's that they're holding they're, hands, yes. right? Norman and her, and Norman hears you know, quote unquote, his mother call for him in the other room and kind of turns and lets go. And just that little release just makes her slip a centimeter. Which is so good, right? Like just from an aesthetic point of view or, or just a story point of view, the idea that this woman who's been through a pretty, she's had a couple of real bad days, let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) And she sees this person, Norman, who is kind of, you know, he's a pretty odd guy. And she's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, she's a pretty odd girl. I feel this connection with him. I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to go make sure he's okay. Even though he's telling me to fuck off. Uh, and she gets in there and she's like being gentle and like, there's some intimacy to this, like holding hands thing. And then it all goes to shit. And she falls in the same, we see it the same way we see the detective from Psycho 1 fall down the stairs. It's a very odd camera move and and it's a blue screen, whatever uh, thing, but it's, it's great. And her dying by the hand of Cupid's arrow yeah. is pretty on the nose, but awesome. You see it in all other movies. It's there, right? Yeah. Exactly. And so... What am I getting at? So all of that is just a really well-constructed thing. And, um, you know, Norman flipping out or whatever. So when when we get back around to Mrs. Bates being kidnapped and then back, and then you have this, this fight where you think that the reporter is going to get killed by Norman and he ends up swinging the knife down on his mother like there's this massive conflict of like is he listening to his mother or is he going to take over his own whatever Mm -hmm. uh what would you call that his own ah. what like he's himself as opposed to his mother so he he his desires override the voice of his mother in this moment okay yeah yeah and and that's catharsis for him right he can finally be rid of her so to speak so that's i think that's actually one of the the bigger sort of like overarching sort of wait did you actually mention him stabbing the corpse yeah Yeah. so he starts and he you know the sawdust of the corpse that he's stuffed is is just spraying everywhere instead of blood which is cool he's gonna kill the detective right the the woman, the woman, the, yeah, the journalist, the woman, journalist. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You think because they they even have the shot of the shadow of his hands and her hands, and she's like grabbing the knife. You know, right. their arms are up in the air. It's a really cool shot. And I almost, I'm, I feel like it's in the first movie, isn't it? In the movie, it's in the first movie at the very end, right? Mm-hmm. When the boyfriend grabs his arms and the light is. Oh yeah, yeah. Swain, I think we'll we'll find out when we watch it. Um, but anyway, that whole sequence is really fucking good. And then he, you know, then he comes down on the mom and kills, quote unquote, her <laughs> yeah, corpse. Kills the corpse. But he kills the the sort of the metaphor of her. Yeah, which is awesome. Literally, <laughs> he's cutting her head off, which is also great. Yeah. So, 
that's all to say that when he gets arrested and he gets put in the car, I believe when the cop is saying, you know, you're going to be in there for the rest of your life, I believe Norman says, but I'll, uh, at least I'll finally be free. I'll be free at least or something like that. Yeah, I, I will be free. Yeah. Or it's something like that, right? But it's not that I am. Mm-hmm. I think it's that I. this will help me to be kind of. It's like it's a possibility. Like it's a goal. But he's still, it's not a definitive thing. Well, I saw it as like it's a, it, uh, my possible read on it was it was a turn of like, now tragically because he's had this whole life being a psycho because of the influence of his mother even in his mother's quote-unquote death in his mind is she still having power over him like now he's psychotic about that he's killed his mother finally does that make any sense you know yeah yeah and so like no matter what it's like you, you, you do or you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't kind of thing is is kind of maybe the direction it was saying is like his. He, he's been permanently screwed by his mother, basically, like he can't defeat her, right? Even in defeating her because like defeating her was so important to him. That means that she was always still going to have that hold on him. He yeah. can't just walk away, you know? But it seems to me like his his feeling of it's almost like he, he's acknowledging that this is this is the right thing and a good thing for him. Yeah. And so saying like, I'll, you know, I'll finally be free is like a hopeful. But it's the difference I'm getting as between he doesn't go and I'm finally free and kind of wistfully looks out the window. No, <laughs> no, he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of my point, too. That it's like, if I, if this goes, if we, if we get me away from the house and you get me away from her, like maybe there's a chance for me to be free. Right. It's kind of how I read it. Well, how do you read like him keeping and petting the mother's hand? So that's, that's the, uh, I mean, he is two sides of a coin, right? Yeah. That's his character, right? There's, and I think that. Essentially, these two moments are the two sides of the coin again, insofar as he he can verbalize and like consciously state what the good or positive outcome mm-hmm. should be or could be for him and hope for that. But the other side of the coin is that he's holding on to her hand well, under the under his shirt. I can you kind know of what read mean? it as he's now. He's now in his mind in being someone who has committed matricide and feels good about it. Hmm. Like that's his new hmm. form of psycho. <laughs> that's interesting. Like that's because he's, he has, contr- it's just her hand, you know, he's caressing it now almost. He's like, he has control over it. It's sort of, no, it's, <laughs> it's so fucked up. He's acting as if he does, but because of how he's acting, mother still exactly. is in the end. That's what I'm getting. And at. it's, I just think, you know, a hand and holding your mom's hand <laughs> yeah. it's you know it should be this thing of you know being protective and you know cared for and but it's, it's like that's what we do as kids right like we reach out for right. our parents hands but now he's like <clears throat> i've finally won 
that's interesting. Has he finally won, or has he just really now? He hasn't. I'm saying he's he's saying that. I don't think he has one. Sure. But does he believe that now he he's really, really actualized into not into in the good way? Like into the psycho, like he's really embracing, like this is who I am. And that's why that last beat is sort of a crazy smile where it's like, yeah, kind of now that she's gone. Right. It's like the, the split personality of the psycho and Norman fighting each other is no longer two pieces. They're into one. Because he's killed. He's full on. Mm-hmm. Like we've now, in a way, I guess you could almost say in in killing his mother, he also killed <clears throat> he also killed Norman. What do you mean? So he's two he's oh, yeah, two yeah, things, yeah. yeah. And those two things are the you know two sides of the same coin, and so you can't kill one without killing the other. I feel other. like he's killed innocent Norman. That's what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. The actual Norman that is like a good. You know, yeah, rooted in good. Well, it's because she and so now they've they've into each other. Her, and now her being real in his mind, that mother has, as I said again, driven him to matricide. Right. Like I, I think it's and it's interesting as far as the Which sort of how did, it's playing. That, that's it. That's how this all fucking began in the first place, right? As right. a character, <laughs> she drove him to kill her. He fucking poisons her. But in that reality, still, yeah. But in that reality, still she's still alive right right <laughs> so now yes. it's, she's actually dead for the first time and so is his 12 year old self right but what's interesting is how Maybe. he yeah because okay. now he's he's nor he's psycho norman without the mother yeah he's his own he's now actualized into this new thing yeah which is full force embracing who he is he can he right. can no longer blame his mother for who he is. Well, yes, I was going to say what was interesting, I agree, is he um how it works with the audience kind of almost where we're at and how we want catharsis, where we're almost feeling with him. Yeah, finally, he's beat he's killing his mother. He's winning. Right. But then what the if the movie's kind of trying to I don't want to say go as far as saying something but kind of bringing something up, it's Oh no, like, but maybe that killing your mother, no matter what, even though she ruined his life and is crazier than he is, you could argue in a way, or as crazy, I'd say. Um, Yeah, you get where I'm going. Yeah, I mean, it's still not good (laughs) for him. him. I mean, it may feel good in the moment, but it's like, it's kind of, we talked about this a little bit in the last episode. It's like that impulse to protect you know, people that are close to you, like you can see yourself going after somebody who hurt somebody you love yeah. and, and killing them. But like in the moment, I'm pretty sure most of us, if we got to that point of like actually fucking killing somebody out of rage and, and like anger of, over them hurting somebody we cared about, we would still be like, Ooh, fuck. Right. That's the thing. It's not like he just sits there and goes, ah, now he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't doesn't get to fucking sit back and have a cocktail. Yeah. He doesn't go, (laughs) oh, I'm finally free. All that's behind me. Right. No. Anyway. Yeah. No, it's pretty intense. There's a lot going on in there. (laughs) Um, For 
for just being a kind of um slasher movie i guess in a sort of mid-80s slasher movie too it was fun we did kind of have a high body count yeah because <laughs> there's the the woman that the douchebag takes home and then the other young woman who's just there partying with all like the football fans or yes, whatever and your favorite part of the entire movie when the cop eats bloody ice. Yeah. My God. <laughs> we have to talk about that so separately. So gross. It was, talk about like, you know, you hear the rule of threes. This uh-huh. was one of the most like perfect rule of three moments yeah. I've ever seen where it's like, and also for how incredibly unlucky Norman is in his life of like, here's this other woman that could potentially be his love. And just because he like lets go, like she falls in the almost more just kind of tragic happenstance, ridiculous Mm. kind of ways. But then you also have him lucking out and like kind of getting away with these crimes for the films where the cop so good. I mean, if you've seen it, you know, at first we see him reach and essentially touch the hand of his last victim in the ice chest (laughs) and then reaches it again. He's close to the blood. He's eating the ice cubes, sucking on the ice cubes, which it's funny because like people do that, but you don't see it in film very much as a a character quirk. So I just like that too. And then finally he reaches to like where it's the bloodiest spot and puts that right in his mouth. And Norman's like watching it the whole time. Norman's like creeping from behind. He's like peeking out behind. Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) (laughs) God, I love that. Yeah. So they're, um, there's probably some, a list somewhere of the kills. But right. It, and, and then after those two, you have the, you know, who uh, Dwayne, who drowns after their mean, fracas. I feel like we're missing one. Are we missing one? Well, the I mean, Norman doesn't kill the nun in the beginning, but there's that's that's the I first one. I feel like one. it's the two the, young the two women. women. Yeah. And then. Oh, oh, there's. Yeah, that's right. Because there's sort of a um, a false death with with Maureen being having uh yeah cut a wrist where you think he's going in well he is going in to kill her he's in full mother mode <laughs> like he's wearing the dress and everything and then he discovers her that that sequence you know even though i i just it it seemed very obvious to me that that's how it was going to play out mm-hmm. i still really enjoy it, it just because i caught wind of it what it would probably be didn't undercut what it that i was accurate mm-hmm. meaning thir- maybe 15 seconds before we discover she's cut her wrist i was like oh, she's gonna be in the bathtub with her yeah. wrist cut isn't she <laughs> yeah and so but that how it plays out and how it gets into sort of like her being in the hospital and and norman being this sort of like he's the savior thing yeah is fucking cool she kind of conflates him with the virgin mary That's or something right. yeah yeah <laughs> it's, I, I like all of that yeah well yeah and i love their whole like would be i mean their their courtship would be romance too yeah. where it's like they dance together and then they like make out but don't sleep with each other and they go to dinner yeah they have a yeah the nice like dinner and then they dance and it's like <laughs> norman you you get to like dance with the girl at the prom yeah. you never had like yep. <laughs> so sweet right he like got her clothes dry cleaned oh you look you look beautiful maury <laughs> he doesn't say that but <laughs> might as well oh but do you remember like fucking jeff fahey Dwayne like 
spurring him on like there's that moment where he just is so like nervous around her and just doesn't know what to do at all or he just doesn't say anything and like i just love that that performance he's just like Dwayne's like, go get her, Norman. And he just can't say anything and just looks at her. Oh, that was so good. Oh, my God. But I I guess, uh, yeah, if I, I, to sum up that stuff, I just, uh, I'll say it again. I do do really like their, their would-be romance and the tragedy it ended with. (laughs) Yeah. Getting to see Norman get a little bit of love. (laughs) And her too. That's why I think that's the, the overall thing I'm that's trying to get right. at what worked is they specifically not just I liked their, but I liked it because they really are a match made in yeah. their little heaven. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever town this is. Um, we already mentioned, like, I loved it being a direct continuation from the second one of seeing the same characters at the diner and the diner itself. Mm-hmm. And then just sort of, I think it's a smart direction to take it where you say, okay, well, now that mother's back, what does that look like? You know, we don't think it would be very long before stuff explodes, which it does. So I think it was smart just to set it like a month later after the mother coming back. Yeah. <laughs> like how long with his mother back in the picture and these murders just happened. Is right. Is he be- really going to be around for? Yeah, because ha- look, you can't. Well, you could, but I, I think it wouldn't work if you were to say five years later. Yeah. What's been going on for five years? He's <laughs> yeah. just been fucking killing people and getting away well, with exactly it or like not? It, like, like, it was a good amount of time where you see a month is a long time when you're just killing and stuffing birds. But to be like, <laughs> okay, he's just been killing and stuffing birds and eating Ritz crackers for five years would have been a little harder. Oh my God. To Can buy. you imagine the amount of dust that would have been in that house? <laughs> yeah. Even more. Um... <laughs> Or you kind of mentioned in how it was being shot of just getting to see more and talking about yeah. the swamp and all that. But there were just some, you know, uh, shooting how it was shot aside. There were moments and things that happened that I love that were like, oh, cool. Rather than kind of, again, ruining the psycho mystique, we're just they, they didn't do it. I don't, I don't know. It, nothing overstayed its welcome. Like as far as... Um, I remember you got excited about the moment where we see him fighting back against his mother. We're like, okay, uh, we we explore a lot of like, yeah, it's good in the original. Like, don't show it. But where we are now, it works for the movie of sort oh. of seeing what that looks like when he's transitioning to and from mm-hmm. mother. Like, oh, how does that work exactly? Because he has to put on the outfit. Like, where does the shift mm-hmm. happen? How does that look? So we get to see all that happening. So like we have an in-between moment where it's like his mother's coming through and he slices his hand. How Dude, does he that do it again? is so fucked up. He is holding the knife, right? It's the big He's holding the blade. Knife. So of he's the knife. So he's well, he's got he's got it in his hand and then he by the handle and then he grabs the blade so that the blade is on his the inside of his knuckles, right? He's squeezing the blade. Yeah. And then he fucking punches the side table. <laughs> so he's like j- fucking slamming the knife into his fingers. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. I imagine that when the prop guy made that knife, you know, it's like you make a fake knife and then you have the little like yeah. cutouts of for each finger so that it like looks like it's going halfway in. Mm-hmm. God damn it. And they don't... 
it's it, you know he sort of is holding it in and blood is sort of there but they don't really do you know how fucked up your hair <laughs> would be from that <laughs> all we see later like a few scenes later is he's got some band-aids on him right like, no <laughs> your fingers would be like hanging off oh, oh i've had worse <laughs> But just get seeing that moment, him fighting back I against love that. her. Mm. That's why he does it. Um, seeing the moment where, like, okay, so when does he make it to the wig, the knife, and the dress? It's like, at a certain point, the mother's voice calling him goes from the corpse to the outfit itself. So it's like her essence moves to the outfit. And so he's drawn towards by hearing the clothes Ooh. or the knife and the wig. Yeah. Like, that's how that looks. Um, now, did... I, I was under the impression, or I am under the impression, that, that Anthony Perkins did the mother voice the whole time. Is I that true? I don't think so. It's somebody else? I think else? I heard, I was watching some other reviews. I think it's the same woman who kind of did the voice in all of it's them. It's not Frank Oz? <laughs> it's not just Frank Oz doing it, no. <laughs> Feels very Frank Oz to me. No, yeah, it's not Frank Oz. Okay. Um, but, Tim, you mentioned that, the mother talking. Mm. I think that's like my... Dare I say my favorite thing in all the Psycho films? I mean, you, this, you dared. I dare. The moment specifically <laughs> where we see him speaking with that voice on screen for the first time and only time in all the films. Um, I mean, there's the end of the first one where he's yelling, you could say, where he's just kind of screaming sure. maniacally. Yeah. But um, really count. there's this one where there's this line. Why can't you leave my poor son, my Norman, alone? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. And you just see him grinning and saying that. And, like, to see his face saying that match with this voice that is, like... Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, I guess if it was at done, not done well at a certain level, you'd just be like, oh, this is a different person. But, um... But it's, it's just kind of, like, freaky enough. Like, you could imagine almost a psychosomatic thing happening to kind mm. of distort his voice a little. Oh, yeah. And just the way... And then the delivery of the line itself, I tried to just do it. It's it's like, she's not, she's not aggressively mad. Just this sort of, like, even more intimidating. Just like, why would you do that? Why would you harm me? You know, it's... <laughs> uh, even more is right. But just that single shot in line... I wish I could find better ways to to explain why, but it's just I think the you best should, thing. I think you should make that your ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> why can't you leave my poor son, my Norman, alone? <laughs> it's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's pretty lie. sweet. Tim. And just and like just the idea of of <laughs> fucking Dwayne <laughs> taking the corpse. Oh but, right, right. <laughs> Like the fucking thought process behind Dwayne, like this whole time, if he he's wasn't been... a like a, a established rapist. Like I may not have bought that. You know what I mean? Like no, this guy's kind of unhinged enough, does yeah. whatever the hell he wants enough that I could easily see him just not being phased by right. a corpse in order right. to get money. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> he sucks. <laughs> yeah. So it just he's a gr he's actually a really good villain. Oh yeah, ultimately and it's perfect because it's not like the, you know the actual villain is mother or you know himself, but it's the as I said maybe not villain but foil mm -hmm. who kind of mm -hmm. grows uh, once he actually you know learns of Norman's doings and takes the mother corpse. I just had a thought. 
There's one scene when it's the girl who, is it the girl that gets put in the ice chest? I think it is when he's trying to get away with her corpse, like her dead body. He's just killed her and he like throws her out the window. Oh, yeah. And then he picks her up and the, the revelers kind of run by and he hides her up against the wall oh, like they're right. making out. But then he, I think it's her, he ends up kissing the dead corpse. I think so. Does he? I yes. Forget. And like, I remember just thinking like, well, this is new territory. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, a little necrophilia. Okay. Yeah, like we're adding a thing. But then it never... So I guess it's just it's just furthering along his kind of he's motivated by his sexual impulses that it he actually, wants this connection. It, it feels kind of perfect actually for that character that like if he's you know up close with another body in that mm-hmm. way and you you feel that like that pull almost mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. and you know he feels it then even with a corpse and acts on it because well and it's because it's that oppressed thing yeah he's he's disallowed from having intimacy yeah of any kind (laughs) right and so he does it's just he doesn't it's not like she didn't just die she just died so you know yeah but he yeah (laughs) still warm maybe not not after he puts her in the ice chest that's for sure you know what i'm saying um so it does make <laughs> hey. <laughs> it does make sense that that's where his, you know, pathology pushes him because he's been repressed, not mm-hmm. oppressed, mm-hmm. so much. Yeah, no, I. It's like in this in this sexual way. I buy it. It feels yeah. right. They did that, but they, it never. It didn't become a thing, which I think is good. Yeah, you know, it wasn't like then he's making out with every girl he. Yeah. After the fact, the opportunity happened to present itself. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last thing I had in, um, as far as this little, when I was talking about getting to see things for the first time that we haven't seen, I talked about the transitioning to and from mother, the looking through the peephole, like we we get again that iconic shot of kind mm-hmm. of the eye up close to the hole, but we actually see him in full, kind of watching, which we never had gotten before. I believe. Okay. Because it's always kind of, you know, he's like in the original when he switches into spying psycho mode, it's kind of like since he's so far from the sort of congenial Norman who we were just meeting in the motel, we don't see him. But this was like, now we're fully with him. We're exposed to his psychosis. Mm -hmm. So what does it look like when he's actually wrestling with himself well and and for me part of the issue with my memory of the first one is that in the uh gus van gus van zandt yeah yeah. in the gus van zandt one they show um norman out crouched behind that people and actually masturbating yeah you hear it and so like i that i can't that image exists and I can't remember if it's in the first one. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't think it is. Cause I remember watching. I think that's my favorite thing about the remake. Just that moment is, is that they go as far. It's like, okay, yeah, it's not in 1960 anymore. So what is he doing when he's watching her? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I can't remember in the first one, whether or not we actually see him. But I'm pretty sure it I felt unique It seems to me. right that, that we don't because I was so surprised when you do in the remake. Yeah. It felt new to me in this one when we see him watching on like 
great. We've been with Norman enough now. Let's just see him do his, let's see him wrestle with himself as much as possible. Right. Expand from this original shot. I loved um, the, oh, let's see. Well, a, f- a few more things. Oh, the, how he made a little altar for Maureen, Maureen. Like, remember when the investigator, the journalist finds them after she, he's accidentally killed Maureen. Or however you want to put his death. I know she, she shows has, up. Like, so the journalist, she comes in. It's like all these candles are oh, lit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like lying there. <laughs> yeah, just totally. Like all, I, I just love that. It's it's great because like, you know, like that's who Norman is. Like he so thinks so much of her, isn't so in love with her. He just had to live in his, you know, in his own mind, just what would be the most beautiful little you know, altar for her to set up. (laughs) I really liked it. You know, he's not just going to put a sheet over her face. (laughs) No, it's, uh, this is a big deal for her. I mean, it's cool because she is, you know, she is Marion Crane in a way, right? Like that's what we're getting at. And he's again, getting to kind of follow through with the thing that he wanted initially when he met Marion. It's like, he's getting a second chance. Yeah. And then, fucking his mom just can't catch a break she really just she's a real she's a real thorn in his side oh we can actually kind of mention i did like how this one retconned it again (laughs) i know i know (laughs) so so it took me it took me a while to get what exactly was going on here it's a little confusing but we were if we were complaining in the last ones like oh it's it's kind of works for me in a way that you know that the norma bates wasn't his actual mother it's it's whatever not and mrs pool mrs pool yeah spool spool so now in this one we learned wait norma a minute is i just had a thought what do you think her name's mrs spool because she's she's uh she's what do you call it? what's the expression uh she's sewing a yarn because she's telling a yarn telling a yarn it's a yarn of thread maybe tim i'm not gonna <laughs> i'm not gonna go as far Is as to say stretch? no maybe let's hope so okay so not okay so how it retconned it again yep is no mrs spool isn't actually his real mother like we were told in psycho 2 she was the crazed i mean we know there's she's sisters with norma Right. And Norma is his biological mother and Mrs. Spool killed the father out of jealousy jealousy. because Norma stole him from Mrs. Spool, I think. Yeah. Or something like that. No, no, no. She, she stole, she wanted to steal him or something. She, I, my impression was Norman as like, (laughs) it was actually her son, but it's actually Norma's. He's actually Norma's son. Yes. My impression was that Norma and Mrs. Spool both liked the same guy. Mm -hmm. And that guy was into Mrs. Spool first, but then got with Norma. Yeah. And then Norma got pregnant. Yeah. And Mrs. Spool was so jilted that she was like fucking he fucking fucked my sister and got her pregnant and I'm going to kill him. And that baby belongs to me. That's the baby I should have had with him. So I guess Norma's maternal name is spool 
and Bates is the father. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that could be. I don't know. Is that too convoluted? It's a little complicated. It is. <laughs> like when she's yelling it all at the end, I had no idea what she's saying. Like, <laughs> yeah, instead your of saying. Your brother's sister was actually in the. It's like, what? Instead of just saying, do you fucking nut? Stop swinging that knife at me. Well, it makes sense that she's. <laughs> holds this kind of, you know, clue to his path that could just jolt him in another right. way. Right. That she would use that as a defense. But as far as actual. Um, that's not as far as it didn't work for me, so that's why I'm mentioning it now. It's just kind of funny. But I, I as I said, I liked that. Uh, it just became more confusing. <laughs> um, There's. I just happened to look at this screenshot, and it's the it's the Fairvale Inquirer. Inquirer, excuse me, Jesus. <laughs> and the headline is: Sister arrested in Bates murder slash kidnapping. Child unharmed in love triangle tragedy. Yeah. So, yeah, we're pretty much right. Yep. We got it. I love the music in this, Tim. Carter Burwell, who we mentioned, like, I forget if we mentioned, he did, like, Being John Malkovich, mm. and he did Blood Simple was what got mm. him onto this one. He did a bunch of the Coen Brothers yeah. movies. He's kind of their go-to guy. But, um... Yeah, I, yeah, it's I don't know. It's, it's if we had the Jerry Goldsmith score, literally, and like it was just very Jerry Goldsmith score. You know, <laughs> I say that almost. It's just a yeah description. Um, this one felt more appropriately horror. Yeah, like which is actually I think appropriate for the movie. This one is much more a slasher film. The last one was this guy struggling with his sanity, kind mm-hmm. of <laughs> like yeah <laughs> piece or whatever, but. Yeah, this way it was sparse. It kind of had a mixed instrument feel. I don't know. Is is it was exactly what it needed to be. I enjoyed it a lot. I don't remember it enough. Exactly to, to, to like have a opinion, which means it's working. Right. That's what I. That's like all for to sure. Say it's it was working. really working for me, and matched whatever. How this, if each of the psycho movies is kind of its own beast. Well, and really there was that. It. There's also that mo- there's a theme in in this one that Norman is plunking out on the piano. Yes, so that um, so what is, that's you... the theme to the movie. Okay, he's that's... playing in the movie. He's playing the theme to the movie. That's <laughs> pretty sweet. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's neat. Yeah, cool. God, love the last shot again. There are a lot of good shots in this movie. Okay, this is, I think this is my last a lot, a lot. thing, is my favorite shot that I have that I, in the movie is when he gets the note from Dwayne posing as the mother, like, come to room 12 or whatever. <laughs> right, right. You have this long, long tracking shot of Norman walking from, you know, the one side of the motel all the way across the, what do you call the walkway in front of it. Yeah along to the very last room that he's in and it tracks with him the whole time and it's like the motel feels so much longer than it actually is because you know we're kind of telephoto right up there Mm -hmm. with him and you just watch norman's face just go through all its ticks of like yeah (laughs) yeah and he has he has to he has to wade 
sort of or swim through all of the the what do you call the like streamers from uh, the party that was the night oh, before right. and so he's kind of like like almost like cobwebs pulling them out of the way in front of him <laughs> so good. and they're like coming across his shoulders and his face and stuff it's fucking good it's kind of like you could in another movie just you, we just cut right into like he's he's there at the door you know whatever but no the movie is like this is what i want to see yeah i just want to see cool single take tracking shot Norman Bates deal right <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty good good job Tony yeah man you did it alright that's all I had <laughs> that's all I have really too should we move on to our next section then yeah alright for Psycho 3 what did not work it's not ready yet seems to work okay no something important's missing I know the one I'll say the one you're going to say Tim there's some egregious dubbing scenes in this but it kind of it really it took me back almost like I'm I I can say I'm pretty forgiving of it like yeah it was well done for what it is I guess but it's obvious to not be ragging on this movie it's like by default that just doesn't like work for me like i'm gonna put that as right. like dubbing you know yeah as a thing that doesn't work like, but what was the weird fuck happened yeah that's that's why i was wondering like they're on the they're... universal back lot like yeah. what <laughs> they where's they their issue giant fucking matte painting flats to to put them in this environment you can't like, get good sound not sealed like, off in the motel room what is a fucking like the fucking universal tours like rolling right. by <laughs> like what are we doing <laughs> yeah Come on, guys. I want to know. I want to know, Tim. Yeah, it's pretty... That shouldn't happen. Maybe we could find out from one of the living crew members. All right, I'll call one. Yeah. (laughs) I want to know. That one producer who worked on, like, all of them or whatever, I want to ask him why was there dubbing. Let's find him. What what, what did you got? That was my saying when I... Because I knew you had it, too. (laughs) No, I have a couple others. Um, Well... I don't want to derail uh, all I just of the get things mine you out said. Of the way? <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, it's not, not a huge one, but just um, the actor Diana Scarwood, who played Maureen, just in this role, just didn't add much for me. Like she kind of had, kind of. I don't know. It was weird. She didn't actually have much of a resemblance to Marion Crane for me. It's just like blonde, short hair. Like yeah. need a little more than that. Like she didn't have that energy. And then I don't know. She just didn't. Just didn't do much for me. I agree, but it. She was. She, she was she good. Felt, yeah, she felt vulnerable. Yeah, she was good, but just to sort of like you know, Mary was super interesting in right. the last one as the yeah. his love interest. I guess um, it's just such a kind of fun cast of characters. You know, the guy Jeff Fahey as Dwayne, pretty you know memorable. God, you know, he, Jeff Fahey. Jeff Fahey can tuck a t shirt into jeans like nobody else. <laughs> Let me tell you. Um, yeah, I don't need to go on about that anymore. And then, um, <laughs> what was that? Oh, yeah, th- this was like just a little distracting. It's This is, there was stuff that worked and didn't work for me about this, but how it's supposed to be a month later, but there's kind of a, you could tell it was three years, like just how Anthony Perkins looks. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, as far as the transition from two to three. So that was a little distracting, but it didn't, 
in the end, I would rather have it go that direction. You know, like I already said, I like that it's a month later versus three years later. You know what they should have done is they should have had a scene early on when he's stuffing birds or whatever. And he also grabs a pair of scissors and just gives himself a little snip on the hair. Yeah. And we would have gone, okay. Okay. So we just, he, we know he looks different now. Right. <laughs> well, and also that like he's in a state. Yeah. You know, cause he does look, I mean, he looks pretty different. Yeah, I know. Exactly. So, you know. So that was just a little, a little distracting, but I did like how, you know, it, they didn't try to force it. Maybe it's it more in the film filmmaking ways, but like I liked that it was 1986. It felt like you know versus 82 or whenever yeah. the Psycho Two was supposed to be set. Huh. Um, yeah, that's interesting. So you wouldn't have had that. So it was interesting where even though it took place in 82, I guess it felt like 86, and I liked that about it. Hmm. So whatever. This is, but it did not work for me. I was right. slightly distracted by that. Whatever, though. Yeah. Well, okay, so. In spite of everything we've said, I still do feel like the matching of the murders is, I just, it, I just don't, I don't know. Like the phone booth murder, how that just felt like the shower scene, but in a phone booth? Because yeah. I liked that. I mean, I liked that, but no, I guess more so the, I guess really it's just Maureen, like doing the exact same camera thing with Maureen falling down the stairs mm -hmm. and I don't know I think I guess here's what it is yeah it's 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 this is why I was like rent rent stream eh, you know ultimately it does all work for me mm -hmm. but there's this pause I have of like how you are doing the greatest hits and I'm like I just am not in love with with reliving the best parts of another movie. Right. See, I this is one of the complaints. Right. You know, so it's like, I, I really know. enjoyed the force awakens, <laughs> you know, but it is doing, it's doing kind of the same thing. Right. I'll agree with you on force awakens. <laughs> uh, tenfold. Okay. But this one, it's like, no, but when he's like, when she, you use the example, when she falls down the stairs at the end and it's the same shot. Like, yeah, I love that shot from the original, maybe kind of weird to just, you know, do it again. But it really, it's a come full circle thing. For I know. Me. I know. Like, and in our and, conversation, and I even like, feel like I've landed there. And it's like a viewpoint of, of Norman Bates's view. Like That's it's true. sort of like to go down the stairs like that. If, if this is, he's going to do some kind of reflecting back on this moment. I right. mean, it's a big deal. Like I'm sure when he saw this detective for the first one fall down the stairs like right. that. Right. So how better to kind of make the audience, mm -hmm. you know, experience that with him than just to kind of, as I said, you know, bookend it with. Yeah. With the, the, no, yeah, I mean, the you're, you're right. And I, I think I just, in the first watch, you kind of, or my, I, in the moments was like, like the shot through the, the peephole and like, mm -hmm. it, it, it is a direct re, you know, <laughs> yeah. rehash of those same moments from the same angles and having Perkins really shoot the whole thing with, with the aesthetic, like this very Hitchcockian aesthetic, aesthetic you know, made me initially kind of be like, 
ooh, are we just doing a rehash? But after a day of, <laughs> you know, thinking about it, I, I'm much, much more forgiving yeah. of it all. And you see how because it's as so a much, whole it yeah. works. It's so different too. Right. But yet it's an evolution, yet it reincorporates oh, what it fuck. needs to. I forgot a thing that worked. Damn it. Let's back, back up real quick. Back in what worked, Tim? When they <laughs> when they show Mrs. Spool, I meant to say it when we were talking about the shovel hit, but they show that in black and white, mm-hmm. which I thought was really fucking cool. Because it does not, it's not in black and white in, yeah. in Psycho 2 at all. And fuck, dude, showing it in black and white made, it it, it felt even more like the first one somehow. Yep. I was like, whoa, which then made me go. So now I'm, we're back in things that did not work. <laughs> what did not work? Fuck, dude. What if this one was in black and white? <laughs> you wouldn't have just been like, oh, blah, greatest hits. You would have like. I don't know, actually. I might have been like. It's too much of the same as the yeah. first one, but hmm. because of how good the the spool scene looked in black and white, I now I I don't know. It's hard because like so much about the kind of trash aesthetic, camp aesthetic I like is in the colors. No question. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like it'd be fun to, as far as some like any, like what if everything in the house was black and white. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That'd be neat. <laughs> That's interesting. Here's another thing that didn't work for me. And I thought we were going to go there, but we didn't get into the basement. Is oh, it yeah. because we spent too much time to... in the basement in the second well, one? That's exactly it. We spent so much time in it in the okay. second one. But I'm like, we're in the house. You I'm just like, want to see I it love again. It. Yeah. If we're going to do fucking greatest hits, man, like let's. But they aren't doing greatest hits. I know, you're right. Damn it. <laughs> They did, there's one, the opening shot of the house, they scan the, um, in that one crane shot, they, they do scan the window mm-hmm. of the basement. So maybe that's enough. <laughs> you just like that basement. We got the swamp I instead. I love basements. I was so scared of my basement growing up. You were like little Kevin McAllister. Oh shit, dude. <laughs> Are you, do you know I used to, did I, have I mentioned this before? When I would leave my basement. We had a light at the bottom of the stairs and a light at the top of the stairs. They're the same light. They're like, they control the same switch, but the bottom light controls the, the lights in the basement and the landing light. So you have to turn off the basement lights and I would, I would literally put my back to the stairs and make sure that nothing, like when I turn these lights out, nothing got me. <laughs> I turn out the basement lights and the landing lights are still on. And I'd spin around and fly up those stairs to the next light. And then I'd have to turn back around and make sure nothing had followed me up the stairs. <laughs> what are you imagining it could be? Like I don't even know. It's just when you're that kid, when you're a kid, you just have that feeling of like Something's your back there. is exposed. Yes. Yeah. And then I would be able to turn off the landing lights. Well, it's really the light at the bottom of the stairs. Yeah. Turn that off and then I was good. Basements. Fucking basements. Well, sorry, no Scary. basement. But as I said, you got the swamp. That was cool. We did get the swamp. Mm-hmm. Cool, dude. I don't really have anything else. Great. I liked everything. Next section. Yeah. Things of note. <laughs> This should be interesting. Well, 
that the we talked about Jeff Fahey holding the lamps over his crotch. <laughs> yeah. That uh, I was watching. Sorry, I can't credit where this came from. I was watching some like video reviews on it and stuff, but they mentioned in one of these um, that, you know, originally Anthony Perkins just wanted like the full frontal nudity and just have it be that aesthetic, whatever. Uh, but Jeff A, he wasn't too crazy about it. So the compromise was what if he had this uh, like in one hand, a lamp in each hand and one of them was covering his crotch. So mm. which I just think is so great. So I'm glad that that compromise worked out. Oh, and Tim brought up a still. There it is. Yep. Perfect. It's, <laughs> it's they're purple. But yeah, I know. It's so good. It's, it's weird. It's like, just what to, if that was in black and white though? Yeah, that'd be neat. It would be really fucking cool looking. Just to walk into that. I love that whole scene too. We didn't mention. <laughs> Remember how he like hops up from behind yes. the TV? Like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on? We need, you know what we need is a spinoff on his character how he got right yeah like where the fuck he come from <laughs> it's just a, it's a, like a traveling fucking that... road show sort of thing where he's going town to town with his guitar and have like it be a Shyamalan twist at the end where it's like oh it's actually in the psycho universe yeah <laughs> we could write that I bet Universal would pick it up yeah it's, it's attached to it yeah um <laughs> I thought it was uh fun I just noted Things of note, noteworthy. And I liked uh, when he stabs the mother and, you know, she's, you know, the, the corpse of the mother mm. and she's quote unquote dying and she's screaming at him. You hear the voice scream and her voice rolls yeah. down. And it was just like, oh, that was a uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Dave, oh, what that's are you very doing, interesting. Dave? Yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was fun, whether that was intentional or not. This was made in, in oh, uh, 84. Five-ish, mm. then, you think? 86. The film? Yeah, 86. That's when it was released. It was released. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, okay, cool. That's when yeah. I was released, Tim. Hey-o! <laughs> <laughs> um, and yet, I have By one who? more... Th- Your mother? <laughs> I have one more thing of note. What about you? I don't really have anything. Okay. <laughs> so, we mentioned the composer, Carter Burwell. I was reading an interview with him from back in the day. And he said... Tony, as in Anthony Perkins, it was just fun to get this context, I thought. Uh, Tony had made Psycho 3 with a dark comedic eye and Universal... Oh, yeah, this is a little behind the scenes. And Universal became concerned that a traditional horror film audience wouldn't get it, the dark comedy or whatever. So they asked him to add more blood. So they did additional photography, extended Carter Burwell's stay in L.A., but uh, gave him the chance to hang around the set. But I thought that was universal was like more blood. It's got to be clearer. It's a horror movie to people. That's hmm. Yeah. Not too often you hear that. (laughs) Now I'm kind of curious, like what other movies did universal a release in? What was this? A 1986. Let's see if we can find that really fast. Oh my God. That's a giant list. Okay. Ready? Mm-hmm. It is 86, The Best of Times. <laughs> the Money Pit. Oh, I like that movie. <laughs> Legend. Legend's awesome. Great. Uh, Sweet Liberty, I don't know. Legal Eagles, I've heard of. Psycho 3 and Howard the Duck. <laughs> <laughs> Woof. Uh, 
bullies. Oh, an American tale. Hey, that, that was my uh, eighth birthday party. I went to American, uh, un-American tale. <laughs> Great. So that's what you were doing when I, mm-hmm. again, was released. Brighton Beach Memoirs. That's it. Wow. So no other horror films were released by Universal. The closest is, I would, sure? in that year... Wasn't the, like house released or was that universal? Uh, or? Well, maybe it's one of the offshoots. Um, Legend is the only one that's even close. I don't know. To a I feel like film. you guys got to would have to research this better before. I'm just looking at Wikipedia. <laughs> I know that's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought um, it was interesting too that uh, he only Anthony Perkins only had one other directing job. Whatever hmm. after this, a film called Lucky Stiff. From two years later, 1988. Sounds like a... Ooh, you got, got the a, summary of that? Yes. A yes. IMDb summary. <laughs> a plump loser, after being left at the altar by his fiance, is invited to Christmas dinner by a beautiful woman. But her family are cannibals who intend to have him as the main course. What? Fuck. Put that in the hat. <laughs> yeah, let's watch that. <laughs> Holy shit, have, dude. It doesn't have a great rating, but who when cares? has that ever that stopped us? That sounds amazing. <laughs> You want to see the poster? It says it's... Oh, here's oh my the, God. Here's the tagline, folks. It's Psycho meets the naked gun. Mm-mm. That sounds a little that treacherous. could be really bad. <laughs> Put that in the hat. All right, Tim. Oh, man. We'll check out Anthony Perkins' Lucky Stiff <laughs> at some point. Great. Anthony Perkins' Lucky Stiff. Oh. How about that? Good old Anthony Perkins. Yeah. What a champ. And if you remember from our uh, Psycho 2, which was our first episode on our, the Psycho movies, we're going well, to stick around for two more episodes because at the That's end right. of the Psycho episode, we're going to give a fun tidbit about anthony perkins oh that's right that we teased last episode yeah so after this we're next we're doing psycho 4 the beginning i don't even know what to expect <laughs> where can it go from here and then we're going back to the original yes revisit it the original see, see what uh we'll see what happens our conversation i'm gonna go I, tim i'm just gonna try to inundate myself with as much as it is possible so All as right. a i hope you do the same as much as you can i will so then we can try to go a step further yes great all right so that's that's, that's what we got coming up um recommendations <laughs> I, I mean if you are we done with psycho yeah 3? i think you we got... can we can put a bow on it okay um so my <laughs> so oh also from 1986 what a coincidence so my recommendation i was thinking about yeah i guess just because i've been kind of revisiting movies from my you know young years Mm -hmm. um and like movies that had good scares or things that like stuck with me Mm -hmm. um in the same vein as young sherlock holmes the the like the hallucination scenes were were the thing that I always remembered from that. There's a movie. <laughs> there's a movie that my brother and I used to watch called Solar Babies. Have you ever heard of that? I feel like I have. <laughs> well, it came out in '86. Solar um, Babies. It, you know, it's one of those movies that was on like USA Network a lot on Saturdays or something like that. Yep. Um, but it has 
an element, I won't really give it away, but it has an element of some pretty fun, like, uh, special effects, like, gore of, 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 like, body horror gore. Is it about solar babies, like alien babies? I'm not entirely sure that I could tell you the plot of the movie. (laughs) Okay. It's the future. I don't (laughs) even know if it's on Earth. (laughs) There's definitely rollerblading. But you're recommending it because the gore, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I think the fun little scares are are fun. And, And from that sort of kid perspective, you know, like it's... It was impactful. But check out who's in it. Jamie Gertz. You know Jamie Gertz? I recognize her. She's in Twister. She's she's in a bunch of shit. Um, she's, probably, mm, she's probably best known for being the girl in Lost Boys. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, Jason Patrick, <laughs> also of Lost Boys fame, uh, are the two leads in Solar Babies. Great. And then Lucas Haas. Oh, yeah. He's in there. Um, and then a bunch of other people that, like, you kind of recognize but kind of don't. Uh, but it's weird. It's just this weird sci-fi-y border. It's not really horror, but it's just weird, like, post-apocalyptic sci-fi future-y 80s shit. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, in a really nice sweet spot for me of just, like, quintessential mid-80s what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's mine. I Solar would. Babies. That sounds like a film that would have been at this cabin that I stayed at um, <laughs> at the beginning of the summer where he, the, the guy had like a DVD VHS collection. Amazing. Um, but what was there that this cabin did have was a VHS of the Russ Meyer film Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Ooh. Have you seen that one? Have you seen Russ Meyer, Tim? Because he's... Seems like a piece of your brain. You know, I feel like I have watched Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, but I'm not sure I've watched it all the way through. So it's Roger Ebert's sole writing credit. Oh, yeah. It's that one. Yep. It's... I know the poster. I know, like, I I know of it. It's insane. I loved it, though. Like, it, it was... It's... It's so weird. Like, at, at, at first, it can be, like, really, really off-putting because it's just, like, this sort of... It almost feels like it's oppressively uh oppressive in its revelry almost it's got like insane insane like jump cutting at the beginning like unlike not jump cutting just just the pacing of the cutting like you've never seen um but it's i mean if you don't know russ meyer you, you listening to this probably do but it's sexploitation basically exploitation yeah just kind of that that dirty um well here's 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 a uh, letterbox summary a hip and happening all-girl rock group head to L.A. to claim lead singer Kelly's inheritance and make it, and make it in L.A. <clears throat> Soon the girls fall into a morass of drugs and deceit as the recording success soars. It takes several tragedies to make them stop and think, but is it too late? Nothing much happens. It's almost like watching, like, it feels like the plot of a porn movie, but with no actual sex in it. It's kind of just, like, very... It's it's not like you know full on shown kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Interesting. But I, I definitely this, know it. I'm not sure I've seen it to be honest. There's this so there was this something so manic and unique about it that I it really sat with me in a way that uh oh well, I like recommending it here now yeah. and it's has guys a Criterion release that I want to get with this incredible uh, cover art. 
Nice. Cool. I'd only ever seen one other Russ Meyer film before in college. Uh, that was Beneath the Valley of the Ultra Vixens. I see that here. I believe. Yep. Uh, beneath. Yep. Up but uh, right. this one I liked a lot more. <laughs> awesome. So we already said what we're doing next week. Psycho 4. The beginning. Yes. Psycho 4, the beginning. Psycho wow. 4, the beginning. In the meantime, you can find us at dismemberinghorror.com. Oh, yeah. You can also find us at Dismembering Horror on the Instagram. Yes. And on Twitter, we are at DisHorrorPod. And if you want to recommend dead something to us, you could just email us, DismemberingHorror at gmail.com. Or if you have an opinion that swayed greatly from what we said, we want to hear that too. We'll even play it on air or read it, whatever. Yeah. Mailbag. Get out your dictaphone. Mm-hmm. and say some mean things into it and then mail us the tape <laughs> and then we'll play it <laughs> on the tape machine on air yeah but seriously we want to hear what you think of these movies too <laughs> yeah we would love that it'd be awesome and if you enjoy this and uh think you know maybe a five-star review on itunes that'll, that'll help us out yeah thanks for listening y'all yeah. we know you're out there somebody's listening <laughs> we do know we can see it um well well i hope we're we hope you're enjoying your october mm. as it says it's getting through it here that crispy air it's wrapping up as we're in the midst of it here mm. we're love to be talking about be a couple of psychos talking about the psycho movies yeah what could you ask for <laughs> right i'm wearing a sweatshirt for fuck's sake oh my god usually it gets so hot in here i know yeah great well yeah all that good stuff in um in closing on top of that <laughs> thanks for listening <laughs> and we'll see you next time goodbye goodbye <laughs> yeah.